On today's episode, we have another PHT Q&A. Welcome to the podcast, helping you overcome your proximal hamstring tendinopathy. This podcast is designed to help you understand this condition, learn the most effective evidence-based treatments, and of course, bust the widespread misconceptions. My name is Brody Sharp. I'm an online physiotherapist, recreational athlete, creator of the Run Smarter series, and a chronic proximal hamstring tendinopathy battler. Whether you are an athlete or not, this podcast will educate and empower you in taking the right steps to overcome this horrible condition. So let's give you the right knowledge along with practical takeaways in today's lesson. Welcome back, everyone. Always love doing these episodes. Love doing some Q&As and I haven't done one for a while just because I've had so many... um, other ideas and they just get put into my run sheet and you know before I know it I'm like I've done all these success stories and book reviews and other things and haven't really caught up with doing too many Q&A's so uh, a couple of days ago put across socials on Facebook groups and my Instagram accounts uh, what questions do you have and so I've got a fair few coming in I will this episode I'll talk through the Instagram answers or questions and Next episode, we'll do the Facebook ones. So um, thanks for everyone who's submitted their questions. Let's start off with, on Instagram, we had Anna who chimed in and said, I have high hamstring tendinopathy preceded by Achilles tendinopathy on the same side. Is this related? Um, I'm assuming, I don't know, it took me a while staring at this question for a while. A high hamstring tendinopathy preceded by Achilles tendinopathy. So I think you've had the the PHT first and then developed the Achilles tendinopathy second, I think. I don't know. I don't know why I'm struggling to interpret that. But let's just assume you've had the PHT and then developed Achilles tendinopathy. Um, Okay. Could this be related? It could be related, uh, but it doesn't have to be related. And I know if you go to health professionals or coaches and those sorts of, uh, you know, health professionals, they are one to try and link the two um, because they look for answers. They like answers. They get a lot of buy-in when they say, oh, you have Achilles tendinopathy because your hamstring's not activating properly, glutes aren't activating properly, your rehab is inadequate, and this is putting more strain on the Achilles and those sorts of things. And that could happen, but it also could not. Like, you know, injuries can happen. Injuries happen all the time. I'm not sure about your situation, Anna, if you're a runner or a... Um, you know, an athlete of any kind, not too sure about your background to sort of pull these strings together and pieces to the puzzle, but um, it doesn't have to be. They don't have to be linked because what we know about injuries is injuries are a simple equation of load versus capacity. Every tendon, muscle, ligament holds a certain capacity. And if you train, if the load that you place on that structure exceeds its capacity, it's going to start getting sore if you mismanage it and then um, spirals out of control. And it's also training load versus recovery as well. If you train and have inadequate recovery after that training, things start breaking down rather than building up. And then, you know, that can slowly develop into an injury. So the same reason you can have PHT because of load versus capacity, because of inadequate recovery, you can also develop something else that pops up in your body as well. So, when someone 
comes to me and says, okay, I've got this and I've also got this second injury. Is it related? I like to dive into their training history. Okay, what was happening at the time of the PHT? What was developing? Oh, what was your training like around the time of the Achilles coming on? It might've been after a heel session. It might've been after a, you know, cross training session or strength training session. We can sort of see if anything fits a pattern. Um, and also just get what, what's your training philosophy? How do you like to train? What's your intensities? How hard are you working? What's your, what we call intensity distribution? How do you like to spread your different intensities across your week? That might be a little bit skewed and you might be slightly overtraining or doing something too much. The link with PHT, um, it's very closely related to running like speed. I've said this on the podcast a couple of times, but very, very correlated. The faster you run, the exponential increase in demand that goes through the hamstring, but also the faster you run places a lot of load on the Achilles. And so maybe there is an intensity issue. Um, I hate sort of trying to make guesses because I don't know a lot about your situation, Anna, but these are the things I think about um, looking at your overall training philosophy, looking at your overall recovery methods, because you could just be training without intensity, but you know, you're lacking sleep. There's increased stress, hydration, nutrition isn't necessarily adequate and you can easily develop overload injuries in multiple areas just because globally speaking, your body is under recovering. It's very easy to overload structures in the body. So globally speaking, that could happen. They don't have to be related. But like I said, they could be related. There could be compensations and those sorts of things that do develop. Uh, if there is a compensation, perhaps there is a lack of a rehab from one injury, which then carries over to overload another injury. So in this example, or in this hypothetical, we could say that their, the return back to running may have been too quick or the rehab may have been inadequate and the hamstring itself has lacked strength, lacked power, or maybe you your, yourself have lacked confidence to run, stride out, activate the hamstring, use the hamstring to its full capacity. And maybe that lack of confidence is leading you to be a bit more ginger when running on that leg. Therefore, other things have to pick up slack. Therefore, the Achilles might be pushing off and producing a bit more force than what it's used to. And therefore, it may become overloaded. I can't say that definitively. I can say that there's a possibility. Um, daily modifications is also something that, like when people are injured, they just move differently. All of a sudden, they start sitting differently. They start walking differently. They start going up and down stairs differently. And that can place a load, different load on people's bodies. I've seen people develop PHT on one side and then get PHT on the other side just because of the sitting, because they spend so much time leaning over and taking pressure off one sit bone that they put too much pressure on the other sit bone or people develop plantar fasciitis because they're avoiding sitting altogether and they're just standing all the day, all day and their plantar fascia isn't used to that really abrupt swing to standing all day. Maybe there's something to be said for that for the Achilles. Maybe you're sitting less, standing more or walking more and that's putting more 
daily load on the Achilles. Yes, standing and walking isn't a lot of load on the Achilles, but let's say you go for a run, then you're standing all day and the Achilles isn't really getting that recovery. Next day, you probably do the same. Achilles isn't getting that recovery and then it can become overloaded. Um, so that's probably my best response with the limited information I know. Possibilities are all out there. All those hypotheticals, <laughs> they're out there as well. Hopefully that maybe brings some understanding or one of those hypotheticals. Anna is sort of like um, light bulbs turning on for you and maybe fitting some pieces of the puzzle. But you also ask, <laughs> uh, what's the best way to rehab or heal slash prevent PHT? So this was kind of like a two-parter with your Instagram submission. So you say, what's the best strength and rehab work to heal or prevent PHT? I've got my favorites, um, plus or minus a few others that I might add in there based on the unique circumstances of the client in front of me. So deadlifts, I almost always put deadlifts in there uh, of what starting point, it might be 10 pounds, it might be one quarter range of movement. It might be, you know, really, really low level stuff based on the person in front of me. But I usually start off with some form of deadlifts um, and progress from there. Prone curls, um, which lying on your stomach, doing some hamstring curls with a machine that you find at the gym. Well, I'm also quite surprised at how many gyms don't have a prone hamstring curl machine, but you can get away with a seated hamstring curl machine if you can tolerate sitting and you can tolerate that particular exercise or you could do a prone hamstring curl with a band. Usually don't prefer the band, but you can also do it with a cable where you get the pulley system and there's like this Velcro weight, uh, this Velcro attachment that you put around your um, leg and then or your ankle and then you can curl that pulley system and then you can adjust the weights accordingly, which I really like because you can progress quite well when you have that weight rack handy. So deadlifts, prone hamstring curls, step-ups, weighted step-ups, finding something that's about mid-shin height and holding onto dumbbells or a kettlebell or weighted vest or something and stepping up and down is my other go-to. Again, everyone has a different starting point. Um, and then everything else after that is probably just adding in based on the person in front of me, based on their goals, because... You know, I have triathletes, I have runners, I have sedentary people, I have um, pickleball players. You know, there's there's a whole bunch of people that we need to consider for and so we need to tailor these exercises. If they're running and wanting to introduce some sort of bounding running sport-based exercises, I would put some eccentric exercises in there. We could do an eccentric hamstring curl where you're curling up with two legs and then releasing one leg and slowly releasing that weight with an, the with one leg. Uh, I would do resisted standing hip extension with some people who are really start struggling with that particular movement. I think I'll get to that um, next week with a question that we have. Hip thrusts are an exercise that you could do. Um, you could do Swiss ball. Um, Swiss ball rollouts where you sort of bridge with your feet up onto a ball and you're curling the ball back and forth. Um, I usually gravitate towards the slow, heavy stuff, the things that can be progressed with weights rather than Swiss ball exercises and glute bridges and those sorts of things. But um, 
they're my go-tos. And so, Anna, you ask to heal, how, what are the best exercises to heal and prevent PHT? Well, they're the same exercises. To heal PHT, we need to get the hamstring and the tendon stronger. And to prevent PHT, we need to get everything that unit stronger as well because it's harder and harder to exceed the capacity when it's so robust. And so those same exercises do apply. But I thought I would add on to that particular question because Rachel also asked, I have not had PHT, how can I avoid it? And my first point with that is just keep your hamstrings strong, keep the capacity high, um, try and make sure the hamstring can tolerate the demands that you want it, want to put through it. Because like I say, injuries are just load versus capacity. If your capacity is really high and your training load is below that capacity, it's very, very hard to get injured. Very, very hard to get an overload injury, which is what these this is. Um, and you're setting yourself up for success. And if you do manage to develop PHT, the stronger foundation, the easier it is to get rid of. And so that would be a a particular focus of mine. Keep the hamstrings really, really strong. The next point would be just to monitor your training loads. So we're covering both the capacity side of things and the load side of that equation. So the load side is just making sure that we are, you know, writing down your training plan, writing down your intensities, writing down your speeds and making sure nothing is too abrupt because a lot of times people get injured just running to feel or based on they've got a race coming up and they're really extremely motivated and they get an injury and then they look back in retrospect and say, oh, look at all this mileage that I did last week compared to the week before. Wow, that was a big jump. I've obviously overdone things. And so if we can forecast and plan to avoid getting into that situation, you're significantly reducing your risk of PHT and any other running related injury. Uh, Also, I will say just be very, very conscious of speed, the speed element of your training cycle. If you do interval sessions or if you do hills, running uphill tends to put a little bit more strain, but I would say speed work on the flats, doing interval stuff, 200s, 400s, 1K intervals, anything that involves speed work is fine and is actually encouraged because doing it in the right way increases your capacity, increases your eccentric strength, increases your overall capacity to tolerate load, but it just needs to be done sensibly and needs to be progressed in a systematic fashion to which not a lot of people do. So bear that in mind, keep the hamstring strong, monitor your training loads, in particular, a very conscious um, awareness towards speed. Uh, And then I would say if we're looking at how to prevent PHT, um, I would say scenarios where you're combining long or hard training sessions, races with sitting, um, just the combination of the two doesn't really go too well. Like very common, someone will have a marathon that they have to run on a particular day, but they also have to drive to that event will have to drive to a race. And so it's a two hour drive there. They'll run, they'll do their event. They'll run hard, they'll race hard. And then they have to drive two hours back. That's a scenario that we want to be particularly aware of. P 
people travel for fly uh, for fly for marathons. They go, they jump on a, you know, twelve hour flight, run a marathon a couple of days later, and then they're flying back the next day. That's another thing that you might start getting a bit uncomfortable in your sit bones if you've never had it before. Um, and that's fine. Like we can't not avoid doing those things. You just need to be conscious of doing those things. And then if symptoms arise, this is my next point. If symptoms ever arise, you need to do the right things early on to then mitigate it really quickly. And a lot of people struggle to pick up on PHT symptoms because sometimes it can creep on up on you um, and you don't really notice it. But if you are cognizant and act accordingly, it turns into a three-day, you know, annoyance rather than a six-month injury. And so what I will say is always when people ask me, what can I do to avoid injury? I say if you have races to, that you want to run, if you love running, you want to run fast and you have all these athletic endeavors and goals and achievements that you want to do, you need to push your capabilities. And to push your capabilities is always going to be a risk of a running-related injury. It's a part of life. Injuries are a part of life. We can't totally avoid or prevent injuries. We can do the right things to reduce your injury risk, but we can't get that risk down to zero, unfortunately. If that were the case, um, I'd probably be out of business, um, but we can do the right things to minimize that risk. However, because that risk cannot get to zero, Symptoms might arise. Early symptoms might pop up here and there. Achilles might get tight. Plantar fascia might get tight. Sitting might become uncomfortable. Like all these sorts of things are just early signs and it's picking up on those early signs and doing the right things that will, like I say, lead into a three-day injury or a three-day awareness rather than an injury. And so, Rachel, good question. To prevent PHT, keep your hamstring strong. Monitor your training loads. Be conscious of speed, be conscious of doing something quite challenging and then sitting, sitting if you have a long meeting or hard, if you have to watch your um, children play sport in those really hard surfaces and you had a long run that morning, stand up, move around, um, just be conscious of that. And then if slash when symptoms do arise, do the right things early. Thanks for your question, Anna and Rachel. Um, Let's move on to Jordan. Jordan says, I have imaging that has shown PHT plus bone stress reaction at the ischial tuberosity, which is your sit bones where the hamstring attaches onto. Is this common? Uh, I don't think it's very common, but it can happen. I have seen it, um, but I do work a lot with PHT and I don't see it that often, but perhaps there is a lot of, maybe there is a lot of bone stress reactions that aren't picked up just because they do present like PHT and, um, you know, you just continue treating it like PHT and maybe it gets better. Um, so it, it can be linked. Like those two things can happen purely based on the mechanics. So what happens with a bone stress reaction? Um, it's sort of like the precursor or the very, very early stages of a bone, a bone stress fracture. So the bone undergoes some sort of breakdown, some sort of overload and develops eventually if ignored and doing the wrong things, the, the bone will eventually get worse and worse and worse, develop into a bone stress reaction where there's a little bit of 
edema or swelling or thickening around the outside layer of the bone. Again, if it's still ignored and not managed appropriately, that um, can start to affect the inner parts of the bone and it becomes fragile, it becomes sore, becomes tender to touch. Then again, if still ignored, that pathology discontinues until it a fracture appears and we call that a stress fracture, um, which is particularly it's like, it's just an overload injury just done over a longer period of time to the bone structure and bone stress can come from tendon pulling on the bone. So when you run, when you sprint, when you play team sports, the hamstring is pulling on that tibial tuberosity, the sit bones, it has to, it just, it's what it does. And if that is too much, then the bone itself can start becoming overloaded, undergoing a little bit of a stress reaction and can also fit to very similar symptoms to PHT. I did an episode, um, a couple of episodes back about other things that other diagnoses that PHT could be and you know, bone stress reaction was on that list. And um, so, yeah, the same reason that you could develop PHT, you could also develop a bone stress reaction of the issue of tuberosity. And in some unfortunate, unlucky circumstances, you can develop both at the same time or one then the other just because it's so related. Not only is the structure very close in proximity, but the mechanism of injury is similar in both. So you want to be very careful and hopefully don't overload both structures at the same time. But I would say for you, Jordan, as well as other people who've had bone stress reaction, we always want to delve into your history and seeing if there is anything to do with bone health as to why a bone stress reaction has occurred as well as the tendon issues because most of the time the bones are pretty strong and more resilient than the tendons. And so that's why people develop the tendinopathy and not the bone stress reaction. So we want to look to see if there's something in your overall picture, overall history, overall generic health as to is there something to do with bone health that might be an influence. So um, disordered eating, underfueling, malnourished, um, previous history of stress fractures, um, anything to do with recovery, um, anything to do with, yeah, just, just general things. Um, red S is a relative energy deficiency in sport, which is a condition of, um, you know, your younger athletes, are typically training too much and not fueling themselves adequately and their bones don't develop or their bones, uh, don't become strong and robust. And they, they are just setting themselves up for a lot of stress fractures in their early years, but also in their future years, because um, you, it's the early adolescence, twenties, early twenties, those sort of years is where you build up the biggest bone mass. And then after that, it's, it's a real struggle to hold onto that bone mass. And so you really want to bank a lot of the strength in the early days, a lot of um, bone mass in the early days. And if you're under fueling yourself, that's very, very hard to occur. So yeah, I'd, see what that would be like in your general health scenario and see if there's a link there. Okay. Thanks for your question, Jordan. Let's go on to our final question, which is Sue who asks or says, I am 
60 years old now, I used to run more than 100 kilometers per week. I've had recurrent PHT and can't run more than 10 Ks every second day. Is it okay? This is okay, but I want to run the last two of the six Abbott majors, which I had to look up, which are marathons, um, marathon distance. I've been doing all the exercises for my glutes directed by my physio and running coach. Is there any hope for me? And she also adds, I've ran 25, more than 25 marathons and trail marathons. Thanks for your question, Sue. I (laughs) reached out to you when you submitted this question on Instagram. Uh, I put it into the thread and also put it, I sent you a a message, um, a direct message asking like specifics because you said you're doing all the exercises for my glutes. Uh, I just wanted to know what they were. Like what exercises are you doing? Because that would be great for me to sort of add on to. But um, unfortunately, haven't replied yet. So I'll just go off something generic. Um, I hope it's not just glute work because (laughs) we need to strengthen the hamstrings as well as the glutes. And I've seen a lot of people, like I jump on, free injury chats with people with PHT all the time. And very common are people doing bridges, crab walks, monster walks, like body weight, easy, light resistance stuff for the glutes and doesn't get them anywhere. Maybe gets them a little bit better in the initial days. But like I've said on this episode already multiple times, we need the slow, heavy stuff. So I hope you're doing the slow, heavy stuff. I hope you're doing some sort of deadlifts or step-ups or prone curls and all that sort of stuff that really builds up the robustness, is the, if that's a, a word, to the hamstring, to the tendon and you know reaping those rewards. I hope that's the case. Um, if not, then make a start. Make a start on those exercises I've listed already. Um, and, you know, there's... The question, okay, is there hope for me to start to do these marathons? Um, I don't know when these are, but I will say don't rush into marathons. You, you can't fight your physiology. You can't fight your capacity. You can't fight how quickly this thing heals. And so my guess, if your symptoms are adequate, if your symptoms are acceptable with doing 10k every second day, which seems to be um, tolerated, I guess. Maybe you can make a start. Maybe you can turn that 10k into 11, 12, and then slowly progress that as you would do in a normal training marathon training cycle. Um, I'd give it a little bit more time. Like I say, I hope this is like maybe four to six months away. Uh, I suppose you're building up if you're doing. 10k every second day. I suppose that's a good base. So maybe three months, four months. Um, but that if you start increasing that 10k and symptoms increase, I would say you're not ready for a marathon. I'd say take some time, work on your weak links, work on your little kinks that might be strength training. And then once the ramp, once you do that build up and your symptoms are responding well, then we can talk about, okay, let's prepare for a marathon. Might be a slow one, but it, it can be achieved. If you want to work on speed, that's a different story. It might take a bit more time. Um, but we want to sort of work on 
the things that are working well. You have said that you have recurrent PHT, so um, not sure how long you've had it for, how many episodes, how many PHT episodes you've had, what's led to those. But if you've had it multiple times and you're struggling to increase or build upon more mileage, but you also have a marathon that you really want to hold on to, I'd say that's a recipe for disaster. And it's only just because I talk with people all the time. A lot of people are drawn to compelled to towards races and it brings them undone. It leads to a lot of chronic injuries, a lot of injury recurrence, a lot of stuff just because they're just so their passion is races and I'm so like emotionally detached from any of that decision-making. And so I get frustrated because I'm like, just don't do the marathon, just like do some proper rehab. And then next year you'll be running marathons without any issues and you'll be feeling happy. But people rarely look at the big picture. Um, You may recall my success story with Ashley who was just doing marathon after marathon, fine, performing well, but just kept having like PHT, injury, flare up, uh, had it, now had it for like several years, only just because she was so compelled. She loved doing marathons so much that she was just going marathon after marathon after marathon, like in the sensible timeframes, but just the PHT just wasn't getting better. It was stubborn. It was just sticking around. And it wasn't until we had a, you know, chat, had a, good discussion about let's talk about your training philosophy. Let's talk about your mindset, your attitude and um, what you think about marathons. And uh, we had to really peg back and say, look, let's think, let's look long game. Let's look two years from now. Do you still want to be running marathons? How about running marathons and getting PBs and running fast without any symptoms? How about we not try to push this next marathon and actually work on your rehab, make rehab, prioritize your rehab first and foremost above everything else. And if the marathons, um, need, if we need to forego the marathon, so be it. If marathon looks likely, we'll do it, but it'll be slow. And let's then use that as momentum to the next marathon. Um, it's actually good timing because I had a talk with Ashley recently and um, she well, first of all, she did that marathon. We actually were, um, she built up her rehab well enough that she could do that marathon. She had to do it really slow, which she didn't like. She had to train really slow, which she didn't like, but her symptoms improved dramatically. So instead of going from marathon to marathon to marathon with symptoms, 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 she actually did a marathon slow, but without symptoms or very, very minimal. And then at the time of recording, just as of a couple of weeks ago, she ran another marathon she ran a PB and didn't have any symptoms. And so this is where we sort of need to look big game. Um, I know, Sue, like you're 60 years old, which um, I'm inspired and motivated that you're, uh, you love doing marathons and you're getting back to it, but you can still look big picture. There's still a lot of marathons on the horizon in two years, five years, 10 years. And let's do that. Let's not rush. Let's not rush these things. Um, that's just my, like I say, I'm emotionally detached from a lot of these. And when people say I have PHT, I want to do everything I can to possibly get it better. I'm sick of this injury. I'm sick of it recurring, but I also have a marathon in two months and I need to do that as well. That's where I get a little bit, okay, we need to prioritize things here.
Um, <laughs> don't want to kind of finish on a downer, but uh, hope that helps everyone. Hope that helps. Even just like the philosophy, like just thinking of it, having a different mindset, different um, changing our attitudes towards thinking big picture, no matter what your goals are. I think that's always a good thing and might be a good topic to finish on. Uh, so got four questions there, done and dusted. Next time we have some Facebook questions. Um, and yeah, looking forward to answering those. Hopefully this helped in today's episode and we'll catch you in the next one. Thanks once again for listening and taking control of your rehab. If you are a runner and love learning through the podcast format, then go ahead and check out the Run Smarter podcast hosted by me. I'll include the link along with all the other links mentioned today in the show notes. So open up your device, click on the show description, and all the links will be there waiting for you. Congratulations on paving your way forward towards an empowering, pain-free future. And remember, knowledge is power.